The following podcast is a Dear Media production. You do not demand a perfect home to run into when your house is on fire. Right. Just get the hell out of the burning house. Hi, this is Deborah Messing. I'm an actress and social justice advocate. I am Indana Dayani, creator and co-founder of the nonpartisan movement, I Am a Voter. Welcome to our podcast, The Dissenters, where we interview our heroes based on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's iconic I Dissent slogan. A dissenter is someone who stood up to an injustice or challenged the status quo, someone who fought to build a better way. Our nation has lost a giant, a true pioneer for women and equal representation. Mandana and I lost our hero and the inspiration for this podcast and community, our personal activism and how we both aspire to serve our country. So this week, we are dedicating our episode to the ultimate dissenter, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We will share a bit about her life and legacy, how she inspired this podcast, what she meant to us personally, and what is at stake for our nation with this unbearable loss. We will also hear from our previous dissenters, Shannon Watts, Sophia Bush, and Glennon Doyle, and how this has impacted them and how we carry the torch and continue the fight that RBG has led for decades. While we mourn this loss with the rest of the world, we feel even more firm in our commitment to stand up to injustice and to challenge the status quo, to honor the dissenters who fight for the rights of others and to share their stories here with the world, to fight for tomorrow and to dissent in her honor. Hi, Deb. Hi, Mon. (laughs) It was crazy thinking about recording this episode because I just remember Friday night getting ready to go to my family's for Shabbat dinner and Rosh Hashanah and this, my phone just exploded and immediately, you know, you and Sophia jump on FaceTime and just seeing you hysterically crying and Sophia in tears and my daughter, Andy, walking in the room and asking me, mom, what happened? Why is Deb crying? And I just, I couldn't even begin to figure out how to explain to her the loss and how real it was for so many people. Yeah. I was at the piano. I was playing the piano and all of a sudden I saw your, you know, the phone ring and your name come up and I let it go because I was playing and then it came up again and I knew, I knew something huge had happened. And then it felt like all the air was sucked out of my body. You know, it's, it's so, it's so funny because we all knew this day was going to come and yet it was just unimaginable that it would happen so close to the election. And I just, I just remember the three of us sitting there looking at each other and just saying, what are we going to do? What does this mean for us as women? What does this mean for your girls growing up? Yeah. It just felt immediately so consequential and it felt really personal because of, because of our podcast. Yeah. It's weird, you know, to your point, it's just, I think feeling like there are huge threats towards our democracy every day, you know, and and kind of the dismantling of our institutions. I think all of us 
in some way felt like a sense of security because we were like, if all hell breaks loose, RBG's there, you know, that there's this this woman, this pioneer who's kind of sitting there protecting democracy and equal rights. And yeah. to lose a giant when we are so close to what we know is going to be a contested election and so many rights that, you know, that are constantly in question, like Roe v. Wade and LGBTQ rights and access to health care. I mean, there's so many yeah. things and voting rights and all of these things that we know are coming at the Supreme Court and to just not have the the consistent face of equality at that bench. Mm-hmm. You know, she has been the face of of that fight for so long, I think just made it so real. And then I also, because like we love her so much, just realized, oh my God, she must have been in so much pain and she endured it. And she showed up every single day because she understood the magnitude of her role in in protecting our institutions. And then I just felt so guilty, you know, that we just expected her to show up, you know? I I know. And, And it was just weeks ago that we had reached out to see if she would come on the podcast. I keep remembering the day when you and I were sitting down and talking about this podcast and, you know, how we wanted it to really embody our heroes and activism and to, you know, really inspire generations of of women and, and people to just like show up and stand up and fight for better. And we kind of sat there and you and I were looking at pictures of all of our heroes and looking at our lists and, but it was always RBG. Like she was always going to be the ultimate hero, right? She was going to be the ultimate woman. And we just kept staring at photos of her with this I dissent slogan and her crown and all the pictures and notorious RBG and all of these things that were just so funny and powerful. And, And I remember when we were looking at, you know, the iconic I dissent photo of her and we just kind of, I don't know, like it was just there was staring at us and we kept looking at all of these other heroes that we wanted to speak to. We hadn't even confirmed all these people, obviously. Um, We just kind of Mm -hmm. had like our wish list and we were like, they all kind of embody that just badass, I don't give a fuck, come at me. You know, I will fight for what is right attitude that she embodied. And I was like, well, she descends. I feel like they descend. And then like, it kind of just, we're like, oh, they're all dissenters. That's really cool. Like they all- Just kind of made that's the core they all just made of way, everything, yeah, for like a stronger, better tomorrow, right? They all just said, like, we will hold a place for a more equitable, like, equal future. And so, I don't know, it was just everyone always asks us, like, where the name of this podcast came from. And of course, I mean, we introduce every episode saying that it was inspired by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, it's just, it's so hard to think that the notorious RBG the feminist superhero, an icon of this century, trailblazer for equal rights. Our queen is no longer (laughs) sitting at that bench. You know, she truly changed the world for women forever. Born in Brooklyn, Ruth Bader went to public school, always an excellent student. Her mother, who was a huge inspiration to her, died of cancer when Ginsburg was 17 years old, just a day before her high school graduation. Justice Ginsburg then went to Cornell University on a full scholarship where she met the love of her life, Martin Marty Ginsburg. There's this quote that we're obsessed with. What made Marty so overwhelmingly attractive to me was that he cared that I had a brain. (laughs) I love that. I mean, it's amazing. Yes. Their love story is one of the most beautiful ever. 
They, they married after graduation, and a couple of years later, they attended Harvard Law School. She was one of only nine women in a class of more than 500. While at school, Marty was diagnosed with testicular cancer, and Ruth quickly transitioned to caring for their three-year-old toddler and caring for her sick husband, all while continuing to excel in school. She transferred to Columbia her last year, where she graduated at the top of her class. Ruth then entered academia, a professor at Rutgers Law School and Columbia Law School. She spent much of her legal career as an advocate for gender equality and women's rights and co-founded the Women's Rights Project at the ACLU. As the chief architect of the battle for women's legal rights, Ginsburg filed dozens of briefs fighting that the 14th Amendment guarantee of equal protection also applies to women not just to racial and ethnic minorities. In 1980, she was appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit until she was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1993 by President Bill Clinton, the second woman ever appointed to that position. She was confirmed by the Senate in a 96-3 to vote. Ruth Bader Ginsburg served 27 years on the nation's highest court, becoming its most prominent and prolific member. She became a celebrated cultural icon and was revered for her advocacy. Her dissents occurred more and more often and more passionately in cases involving women's rights. Of these, she said, some of my favorite opinions are dissenting opinions. I will not live to see what becomes of them, but I remain hopeful. Ginsburg was a pioneer in the truest sense, defying all expectations and norms. Her closest friend on the court was the conservative icon Antonin Scalia. She loved to ride horses and loved opera, literature, and modern art. And we've all seen her in those dumbbells. (laughs) Ruth Bader Ginsburg died in her home in Washington, D.C., surrounded by her family at the age of 87. She fought until her last days to protect the equal protections of all Americans. Today, Americans are grieving this loss against a highly contentious battle over her seat on the Supreme Court and whether Donald Trump will rush to name her successor. Just days before her death, Ginsburg dictated this statement to her granddaughter, Clara Spera. My most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. I'm like, that gives me chills. The loss of RBG on the court will in no doubt have huge consequences for the country, which already has a conservative majority. Until today, Roberts, the chief justice on the Supreme Court, has held the controlling vote in some closely contested cases. Despite being a conservative, he has become the swing vote and has sided with the liberals to protect the dreamers from deportation by the Trump administration to uphold a major abortion precedent and to uphold bans on large church gatherings during the coronavirus pandemic. But with Ginsburg gone, this will be a very different outcome if Trump creates a conservative majority of six to three. Oh, God. It's important to note that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in 2016 went to unimaginable extremes, refusing for nearly a year to allow any consideration of President Barack Obama's Supreme Court nominee of Merrick Garland. We are going to take a quick break to hear from our new partner, Noom. Noom is the habit-changing program that uses psychology to teach you how your mind works so you can understand why you make the decisions you make and feel empowered to change for good. 
I love it because it was just what I needed to take that first step toward healthier habits. Noom has helped me feel good about my choices and has also helped me manage stress and anxiety. With Noom, you pick the goals that are right for you. Whether it's having more stamina to keep up with your busy life, being more in tune with your body's needs, and just feeling better in general, Noom personalizes a program to help you conquer your individual goals. Noom is based in psychology and teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you and equips you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom doesn't tell you what to do and what not to do. It teaches you how to rework your thought process and make better decisions on your own. And Noom knows we are all strapped for time, so they only ask you to commit to 10 minutes a day for yourself. Noom is here to make you build a healthier, more sustainable lifestyle. There's a science to getting healthier. It's called Noom. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash dissenters. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash dissenters. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash dissenters to start your trial today. That's noom.com slash dissenters. Now back to the episode. We also wanted to take a moment to hear from a few of our past dissenters, the incredible women carrying the torch for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now we are going to hear from our first dissenter, our friend and hero, the incomparable Glennon Doyle. Glennon is the author of number one New York Times bestsellers, Untamed, Love Warrior, and Carry On Warrior. She is the founder and president of Together Rising, an all-women-led nonprofit organization that has revolutionized grassroots philanthropy, raising over $25 million for women, families, and children in crisis. Hi, I'm so happy to see your face. Guys, I was just hanging out on some other link. Like, I don't know what, what the hell I was doing. So how are you and your family processing this, this terrible loss? And how has RBG's influence been on your life? What has that influence been? Um, well, how do you even measure what, as a woman, what her influence is on our everyday life? I mean, it is stunning to think about the fact that before Ruth Bader Ginsburg America's legal framework, it had never even considered that women should be protected by civil rights, right? Like the 14th Amendment, for protection under the law, it never even applied to women, right? So it was not even a legal idea that women could be discriminated against. So it's, not like, it's not like that there was a fight and she was really good at it, right? It was like there was no fight and she created it. Wow. So what blows my mind about Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a few things. First of all, just her imagination, right? Yeah. Yes. She imagined women into legal existence. Okay. She, she did not look at an already existing system and try to work within it. Okay. She looked inside herself Mm -hmm. for what should be. And then she gave birth to it. She created it. Right? She imagined women into legal existence. So that's not a model for how every marginalized group has to approach their work. Right? If we just right. keep looking at what already exists to determine what's next, we will keep getting what we've always gotten. Yeah. Right? That's why 
every marginalized group, I mean, how she affects me as an activist is just like, oh, so if I look at a world that was created without me in mind, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't look out there. I have to look inside me, right? That's why every Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, right? Because he couldn't see outside of him the way that it should be. Gloria Steinem said, dreaming is a form of planning. So just the idea that she um, saw a gaping hole in the universe and just began to fill it for us and just fill it one scoop at a time. I mean, what no one talks about was her methodical mm-hmm. march mm-hmm. towards, I mean, one of the things that we get wrong in activism right now, we go for the golden ring all the time. Yes. There's the incremental change, right? This incremental idea. change. I mean, the fact that she, you know, represented men in, um, in cases all the time, because yes. like, for example, when she brought the case to, to fight for men to get military benefits, right? For their wives who died in action. Okay. Why was that genius? First of all, because it proved that proves that discrimination hurts everyone. Right. Right. But also because in that case, she was setting precedent that women are breadwinners. Yes, of course. So in this case, she was seeing six cases beyond that case. Right. So she's laying these little teeny bricks, just imaginatively, relentlessly, shrewdly. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I think about her, you know, I think in activism, so we, we, I, all of us, we get so wound up in what we're supposed to say next and we're supposed to be out there. And when I think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg plugging away and changing the world behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. every day with her mind and her pen and her computer and her, you know, she changed the entire universe while no one was watching. God, I love you so much. <laughs> I don't even know why we speak before she comes on. I'm like, you should have done. You, you know what? It, it, that was fantastic because we literally were just talking about the incremental change, but not even like a tenth of articulate as, as you are. So Glennon, as we think about like what RBG stood for and what she fought for and her lifelong dedication to equal rights, I mean, I think it's not lost on us that what she was really just advocating for was compassion and empathy and tolerance and love, right? That to treat all of us with the dignity and respect that we deserve as human beings. And I think when you see the rise of racism and anti-Semitism and division and the fight for the soul of this country, like, I think we just wanted to hear from you how you make sense of this, right? Like, how are we still fighting about Roe v. Wade and LGBTQ rights and protection for immigrants and access to healthcare and, like, voting rights? So the first 36 hours after I found out about Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing, I just fell into a deep despair. My kid, you guys, my kid, we were sitting on the the couch before bed and I was just taught, I was just like, it's over. It's done. My kid said to me, mom, could you just stop saying I'm a kid? So if you could just like (laughs) work some hope into that. (laughs) I'm a kid mom. So, so, but this is the process for me, right? So feel the despair, feel the despair, just feel it. Don't fight it. Feel it. But I'm telling you, I woke up, I think it was a couple days. I woke up thinking, yes, 
Yes, I'm thinking about love and the soul of the nation, but how Ruth Bader Ginsburg did things was that she saw a bunch of stuff she couldn't control and she kicked ass on what she could control, right? She didn't give up. She faced worse times than we are facing right now, right? She faced times that the whole of the country felt even further from where we see it right now. What I know is this. I am spending the next 45 days doing every single thing in my human capacity to affect this election, right? I am every single day going to wake up and think about my November 3rd self, okay? And when I wake up on November 3rd and I look at myself in my eyes, when I look at my children in in, in their eyes, I want to know with every cell of my being that I left it all on the field for the most important moment in this country's recent history. 100%. So if that's, if every day I'm waking up and I'm thinking, what would Ruth Bader Ginsburg do? That's what I'm doing, right? For the days. And sometimes that will look like being loud and out front. And sometimes that will look like really hard work that nobody's seeing behind the scenes, right? But I'm, what I can't control is exactly what happens. And what I can control is what I do for the next um, 45 days. And I'm going to use, I don't think that there's any more important use of my platform, my voice, my privilege everything that I've been given than doing everything I can do to get this current administration out of office. And it's not because I think the other candidates are the answer to everything. There will be all kinds of accountability that we'll need to hold them to afterwards. But I do think that it is triage. You do not, you do not demand a perfect home to run into when your house is on fire. Right. Just get the hell out of the burning house. And (sighs) God, that's so Perfectly put. Well, she just answered my question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just this idea of, you know, how do we, you know, how do we keep fighting? You know, how do we pick ourselves up when, when we start despairing, when we, when we see the lies and the hypocrisy and, and the deception and the corruption Mm -hmm. and the disinformation Mm -hmm. how do we keep ourselves resilient enough so that we can wake up and be a soldier? Well, I mean, listen, everybody, people ask us that all the time, right? Like, how do you not quit? How do you keep doing this and not quit? And my answer is I quit every day. I am quitting. (laughs) Quitting is my spiritual practice, right? Like the only reason that I can like be really passionate for this many hours a day is because I know that by 6 p.m. I'm not going to care about shit and I'm going to be on my couch with Netflix and, and sugar. Like that's the, the way you don't quit is that you quit every day. Right. And that's what I'm yeah. going to do. I'm going to work. And then I'm going to remember that I'm a human being. And if I don't rest then that will take me out of the game. So, you know, I think sobri- sobriety taught me so much about this. I think that people who hit rock bottom with addiction are very mm-hmm. lucky because we learn like how to human incrementally step by step and what that has to do with at the end of the day is one day at a time you do what you can control you refuse to engage in what you can't control and you take care of yourself like a being so you feed and you sleep and you quit Mm -hmm. and you nurture yourself like you're a tiny little baby and then you get up and you fight and you sleep and you you just keep doing that over and over again right so the way i'm not going to quit is i'm going to quit every day (laughs) 
There's so many housewife reunions on right now. It's amazing. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. That's what we're fighting for, people. I mean, the reunions right now are giving me life. Don't tell me there is not still beauty and joy in the world, right? (laughs) Oh my God, I love you so much. I love you too so much. And we randomly do this, right? Like, look, I'm telling you 12 minutes ago, I was really in a bit of a spiral. I was doing this thing for the thing and I heard some more bad news about the election and I... And now I'm looking at you too, and I'm remembering that there's a lot of other people out there who are fighting the good fight, and none of us are alone. So we do this, right? We connect, yeah. see each other's faces. It's so hard right now in preparation for this election. I've never prepared for anything this important as alone as I am. Yeah. COVID, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're used to being with each other. We're used to being able to see what we're fighting for. We're used to being hugging and like, you know, inspiring each other. So we are going to have to, to, to be committed to connecting more over the next 40 days, I think. God bless you. God bless you too. Bye, Glennon. Thank you so much. We love you. Oh my God. Glennon is just so inspiring. So Deb, I keep remembering some of my favorite quotes from RBG. It's weird when I see them because she's such a badass that I go back and forth from just grief to just uncontrollable laughter, right? You know, this idea that her (laughs) words are so powerful, but sometimes they're so funny and she's so funny. And then the images of her and I just, I I feel like I'm all over the place on like this crazy emotional spectrum. I remember this one thing that she said, which was so impactful when I was transitioning out of practicing law, because going up my whole life as an immigrant, my parents were like, well, you can be a lawyer or a doctor. And I guess I was like, okay, fine, I'll be a lawyer. And I really wanted to run for Senate one day. And I was like, this makes sense. I don't know. And I didn't realize how formative this quote was, but it was really the thing that just helped me justify leaving and taking huge like mm-hmm. pivots in my life and in my career journey. It says, you know, I... I tell law students, if you're going to be a lawyer and just practice your profession, you have a skill, very much like a plumber. But if you want to be a true professional, you will do something outside yourself, something that makes life a little better for people less fortunate than you. And I just remember thinking like, yes, I've learned this skill and it's so important and it's so powerful, but I can use it for more. You know, I I can do incredible mm-hmm. things with, with what I have learned in my past life. And that was kind of the permission I think I needed at the time. And I don't think I realized till now how formative it was for me. I loved when she said, fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. That really resonated with me because it really does speak to the idea that activism is a communal effort. Yeah. You know, like nobody changes something alone. You know, there's never a huge shift unless there is a community of people who are working together and using all of their different skill sets and booing each other up when one lags. And, you know, it's a team sport. It's not, it's not tennis, totally. you know? And, and the idea that it's not just about you. It's not just about, okay, I'm angry about this, so I'm going to do this, but that you have a responsibility to do it in a way 
that has dignity and integrity and grace that would draw people in to the effort. Yes. We are going to take a quick break to talk about a renewed brand partner, PayPal. You've heard us talk about PayPal before and we love using it. It's fast and easy. It's so nice to see how our communities have come together during this time. Our normal has changed and we're all finding new ways to connect and continue supporting each other. I have supported my community by focusing on civic engagement and registrations and getting as many people out to vote as possible. Things may have changed around us, but our inner drive to be there for the people that we care about runs deeper than ever. When we come together as a community, we empower ourselves to make meaningful change. And we are doing more than ever to support and advocate for underrepresented communities. So what we need now is an easy way to support each other from afar and stay connected with the people that we love. With a PayPal app, sending and receiving money is faster and easier. Quickly and securely send money to friends and family just about anywhere in the world. Go in on a gift with a friend or donate to a charity you support. Support the causes and places you care about most and do it with a brand like PayPal that you know and you can trust. Make touch-free QR code payments at your favorite local restaurants or farmer's market. PayPal is making it easy to pay safely, quickly, and easily. Download the PayPal app today. Terms and conditions apply. Now back to the episode. And now we're going to hear from our third dissenter, the incredible Shannon Watts. Shannon is the NRA's worst nightmare in public enemy number one. She is founder of Moms Demand Action, a grassroots army of Americans fighting for public safety measures. Moms Demand Action has chapters in every state of the country and is part of Every Town for Gun Safety, which she helped create, and is the largest gun violence prevention organization in the country with nearly 6 million supporters. Every town has outmaneuvered, outspent, and outgrown the NRA since it started, and they are the most badass group of people protecting <laughs> us in our country. Um, Shannon is also the author of Fight Like a Mother, the handbook on activism. And we fangirl over her quite a bit throughout this podcast. Um, and rightfully so, she deserves all of it. Um, so we're very excited to hear from her. Hello. We are grateful that you could join us. We obviously, with this being the podcast that it is, we felt like we wanted to really honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what she meant to us and what she meant to the dissenters that we featured this season. So we just wanted to check in with you first and see how you're holding up and how you're handling all this and, you know, what RBG meant to you personally. Oh, you know, as a, a kid who grew up in the 70s and the 80s, um, she meant everything, right? I mean, she changed so many women's lives for the better um, and, and Americans' lives. And the fact that she held on as long as she possibly could, you know, six weeks right before the election, she fought hard. And and now it's our turn to fight. You know, I, I saw a lot of hopelessness and cynicism online over the weekend, and, and we just can't give in to that, right? Cynicism is, is such a destructive emotion and place to go. And we really have to stay strong over the next six weeks and beyond and, and fight for all of the things that, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought for. And, you know, our values as Americans are at stake, healthcare, uh, protections for pre-existing conditions, women's rights, LGBTQIA rights, uh, workers' rights, labor rights, voting rights, civil rights. 
uh, climate change and, and obviously the issue that I work on, which is gun safety. And, and we just have to be thinking about that when we, we consider the, the Supreme Court vacancy. What can the consequences be to our country if there is a very hardline conservative placed in that seat, creating a six to three majority? Well, all those issues, you know, that I just mentioned, all of those are are at risk. Um, when when we look at gun safety, which is you know the issue that, that I work on, what we've seen is you know the Americans overwhelmingly support gun safety laws. And in, in state houses, we were seeing lawmakers finally uh, respond with action. Um, we're even seeing state and federal courts that have considered Second Amendment challenges. Uh, they have overwhelmingly found that reasonable gun safety laws are constitutional. So the NRA and its allies are losing really everywhere, right, from, from state legislatures to boardrooms. And that means the Supreme Court is their last hope. And they are hoping that the Supreme Court will take an extreme outlier approach to Second Amendment, and that would put hundreds of, of life-saving gun laws at risk. So that's just an example, and, and you can really apply that to any issue in this country that we care about. Because I think people think like, oh, Roe v. Wade was decided, right? Like marriage was right. decided. And so why are we talking about this again? <laughs> Well, I, you know, a lot of people made some good points over the weekend, which was that, you know, democracy shouldn't hinge on on one person sitting in the Supreme Court. And look, our, our approach to this going into, you know, the next few months is, is really twofold. One, we have to defeat Donald Trump's nominee um, and, and we have to push the nomination process to after the inauguration. And then two, we have to keep going. And, and compete on every level in the 2020 election. Um, and, and that includes defeating Donald Trump and electing Joe Biden. That includes flipping the, the Senate um, and, and getting seats back in places like Colorado and Arizona. Uh, we have to keep working in state houses to, to change um, the, the makeup. You know, look at Texas. We only have to win nine seats in the state house to have you know, what we call a gun sense majority, but that impacts all kinds of issues. So we have to really fight harder than ever. Do they have the votes? Do they have the votes to, to overturn Roe v. Wade, to strike down Obamacare? Well, the reality is, you know, they, they could have the votes now to do some of those things, but certainly they would if Donald Trump is able to, to pick his nominee. And we don't know who that is yet, but when you look at the short list, uh, it's not good. And it, it would change uh, the way these issues are voted on in the Supreme Court for generations. I mean, the, the implications are so huge. And, and that's why both sides will be fighting. And, and really, every single person who's listening to us has to get off the sidelines. Can you maybe just go back for a second and, and explain the current landscape for nominating a new Supreme Court justice before the election or during the lame duck session? As we all know, um, during the Obama administration, he had the opportunity to appoint a Supreme Court justice. Uh, he was denied that opportunity by um, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. And as a result, you know, that, that seat was vacant. And Donald Trump um, has had the opportunity to appoint two justices so far, and this would be the third one. Now, when you look back at what Republicans said to defend the fact that they didn't allow Merrick Garland to be appointed was, 
that it was the end of an administration and they needed to wait until after the election um, to do that. So in other words, Americans would vote and, and make that choice. And now they are saying the opposite, right? So it's the, the end of Donald Trump's administration. Um, if you look at their own words uh, back at the end of, of the Obama administration, they said you shouldn't be able to appoint a Supreme Court justice until there's a vote, until a president is, is chosen by the people. And of course, they're going back on that. And, and it's very clear that really all that matters um, is to them power. And that's not democracy. What we're seeing right now play out um, is really, really concerning. It isn't how the system is supposed to work. And, you know, we we heard over the weekend two current Republican senators say that they would not vote um, to confirm a Supreme Court judicial nomination before the election. I don't think they addressed what would happen in the lame duck session. Do you think that they have enough to get to 50 votes to confirm a Supreme Court justice? It is so up in the air. And, and that's why, you know, we need to be putting pressure on these senators to do the right thing. Um, we've already heard from Senators Murkowski and Collins. Although, uh, you know, if you parse their words, um, I'm still not 100% sure uh, <laughs> whether they would allow a, a nomination, you know, post-election or uh, they would right. wait until the inauguration. As you mentioned, a lame duck session. Donald Trump has, you know, two months from, from let's say he's defeated, uh, hopefully, between November and January when, when President Biden would take office. Um, and so it really is about continuing to put pressure on our senators, hold them accountable for doing the right thing. But we do have control. We do have the ability to put pressure on lawmakers and, and hopefully get them to do the right thing. Okay. And nobody knows how to do that better than you. So how do we put pressure on people? What does that mean? Well, so, so first of all, if you join Moms Demand Action and we're mothers and others, all you have to do is text the word READY to 64433. Um, we will be rolling out all different kinds of ways, um, not only to put pressure on uh, the Senate on this vote, but also to win in November, right? The, the election has essentially already started and it's over on November 3rd. Um, and so if you join us, we will enable you from the comfort of your own home to make calls, to send texts, to send emails, um, and, and to get involved on social media. What gives you hope? Oh, I mean, I am so hopeful. You know, we, we have been winning in many ways. Uh, again, I'm going to look at the issue that, that I focus on every day, and that's gun safety. Donald Trump was given $30 million by the NRA to help win his election. Uh, we don't know where a lot of that money came from. He had a, a, a Republican Congress for two years, and yet the NRA was not able to pass a single piece of their priority legislation. And that's because we've gotten so good at playing defense. You know, offense is important, and I'm certainly hoping that as of January 2020, we're going on offense, not only at the federal level, but in many state legislatures. Um, but defense is important, too. Not only did we stop the NRA's agenda at a federal level, but we have a 90% track record of stopping the NRA's agenda in state houses for the last five years. So, look, democracy... It's so it, incredible. It, <laughs> democracy <laughs> is certainly in danger, but it's still working. And it only works if every single American uses their voice and their vote to impact the outcome of whether it's the, the Supreme Court justice process or the elections in November, or you know what 
hopefully a new Biden administration will focus on starting in January. We have the power to make a difference and we have to use it. If we don't use it, that power goes away. I love you so much. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a hero. We can do this. You all are can. We can. We need everyone to vote. And, And so people who are listening to us right now should make sure they're registered. You all are working on that, I know, through I Am A yeah. We are working on that through Moms Demand Action as well. Everyone who's listening should reach out to five people today and ask them if they are registered to vote. It is something that we need to be asking because it's so easy to think you're registered and you're really not, or mm-hmm. it's so easy to, to think you have a plan, but you, you really don't, especially with COVID, right? So yeah. I hope everyone is having those conversations. And also there there are certain states that if you haven't voted in a certain number of elections, you're purged from the rolls. So you might think that you are registered because you voted in the past, but when if you go to the polls, they won't have your name and you won't be able to vote. And so even though even if you think that you're registered, it takes 30 seconds to just confirm that your name is there so that your your vote will be counted. Text voter to 26797 to confirm your registration and to find out if you can vote early in your state, to see if you can vote by mail, to request your mail-in ballot, figure out where your closest drop box is um, and your polling station. Everything you ever need to know about this election and all future elections will be provided. So just text voter to 26797. I feel like I just say that all day and I sh- that's what should just be on my shirts. I don't know why I put anything else <laughs> Um, Shannon, we love you. I know we went a little bit over the 10 minutes that we had guaranteed you, but that's okay. We're yappy, Jewy ladies, and we like to talk. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. Thank you. You're amazing. We love you so much. Love you guys. I can't stop thinking about the fact that she was the first Jewish woman to serve on the Supreme Court. I mean, you and I are both Jewish. It struck me how important that identity was to her. Uh, she called Judaism an ethical religion. Um, she said, I'm a judge born, raised, and proud of being a Jew. The demand for justice, for peace, and enlightenment runs through the entirety of Jewish history and Jewish tradition. And that she passed on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. I mean, that, according to our Jewish tradition, a person who dies on Rosh Hashanah is a tzaddik, a person with great righteousness. The NPR reporter, uh, Nina Tottenberg, explained, a Jewish teaching says that those who die just before the Jewish New Year are the ones God has held back until the last moment because they were needed most and were the most righteous. so beautiful. First of all, I still can't believe that with a year almost to the election that they were able to block the vote. But when you think of the extremes that all of these conservative members of the Senate went to publicly state on record and on video that this is a precedent they want to create, that they will uphold themselves to it. I mean, to hear Lindsey Graham say, play back my tape. I created this president. I will never do this. Hold me to my words, he said. Hold me to my words. I want you to hold me to your words, to my words. just the hypocrisy of their actions today. I mean, RBG has not been laid to rest and Trump already has t-shirts that he's selling called that say fill the seat. I'm like, how where is the dignity of this 
process and the humanity of what we do. You know, America's suffering. We've it's we've lost somebody. It's obscene. It really is. And it's very, very hard to see people in, you know, a revered position, a member of Congress. I mean, when I was growing up, the people who worked in Congress and the White House were perceived as being the most honorable, honorable, intelligent. Yeah, no, I know. You know, we held them up to the highest of standards. And to to hear them in a very contested and bitter time make an oath to the public, to the country, that this is now... This is now a precedent that they will uphold and to so, so easily just come out and say, nope, nope. And with ridiculous reasoning. Honestly, they like don't provide any reasoning. Like they actually, they just don't even care. They're so blatantly hypocritical that like they don't. I mean, but the thing is, Mitch McConnell has been so open that his life's mission is to pack all the courts top down all across the country to make as many life appointees as humanly possible that are extremely conservative. And I don't know that people understand the long-term consequences of this because a lot of state decisions- I don't think they do either. Like local courts, state courts, district courts, Supreme Courts, they are the ones that interpret the law. They are the ones that say, well, when we say equal protection, that applies to LGBTQ rights. That applies to women's rights. That applies to immigrant protection. Um, equal access to voting. I mean, all of these rights are interpretations of the law. And when you have very, very conservative, hardline judges that are appointed for their lives in all of these really, really important judicial seats, they're going to interpret the law to say, well, nowhere in here does it say trans rights. Why would we protect trans rights? Nowhere in here does it say that women should have access to an abortion. Women should have control over their bodies. Look, what are you talking about? It doesn't say that. And all of a sudden- It doesn't say that women have, it doesn't even say that women have equal rights. So all of these interpretations of the law that we have fought for centuries can so easily be reinterpreted by these judges. And the, the consequences of these, I mean, these are life, long appointments. The woman that Trump has said he wants to nominate for Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat is as hardline of a conservative. She's so openly anti-abortion and she will be, I mean, she's, she's young. She will be at that seat for 30, 40 years and making and swinging votes in this direction. And for anyone listening, by the way, so the way that a Supreme Court nomination happens is the the president nominates the Supreme Court justice, but the Senate confirms the justice. So the Senate would have to vote and there would have to be a majority that would rule in favor of this judge. Now, when you think back to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she had 96 out of 100 senators confirm her appointment. We're not talking about anyone that would qualify that unanimously to be loved and revered and and put into a place of power like that. We are talking about whether the Republicans can get 50 votes because Vice President Mike Pence would be the tiebreaker. So if they can get 50 senators to approve this and basically go against the precedent they set, also hypocrisy, and confirm this appointment and jam it in, then Vice President Mike Pence can be the tiebreaking vote and 
That's it. She's confirmed. But the other thing that I just need to say is everyone keeps saying there's like 40 days until the election. There are not 40 days until the election. The election started a couple— People are voting yeah, now. The election started a couple weeks ago. This is not days until the election. This is not like Merrick Garland, where there was like 200 and something days until the election. The election started. The election ends in 40 days, 45 days. The election is over on November 3rd. The election is here. It's today. People all across the country have been voting and will start voting and will continue voting— until November 3rd when they stop voting. So this isn't something they're squeezing in before the election. They are squeezing it in during an election, which is so much worse than what they were just so upset about when President Obama nominated Merrick Garland. Deborah? Yeah. Why do you think this is hitting so hard for us right now? I I, I couldn't help this whole weekend. I mean, I, I, by the way, I was, I was a mess all weekend and yeah, obviously not unique to me. And I just kept trying to think like, what is it about this time in our lives, you know, against this backdrop of civil unrest and fires and economic devastation and a global pandemic, this highly contentious election, and then this loss, why do you think it's hitting us so hard? I still feel bereft right now. And it really is something I've never experienced before for someone other than a family or friend. You know, she was a lighthouse for every person who is vulnerable and marginalized, for those who are ignored and oppressed and degraded and devalued and held down, held back, hunted. You know, she was our fiercest defender of equal justice. And at a time where it is painfully clear that we are sliding backward, that that diversity and equality are reviled by this administration. And there are constant attacks on our institutions and traditions. Knowing that RBG was there made me feel safer. You know, she has overcome so much, several different cancer diagnoses, and she's always come through. I felt like she was fighting to stay alive and well for us, for the future. And to think that she wasn't even dead two hours and McConnell has the gall to announce that he's filling her seat. The idea that there are Republicans giddy by the news and pouncing to reverse everything that she has spent her entire life fighting for, it is it's just, it's just a perverse irony and it is devastating. Lastly, we're going to hear from our fifth dissenter, our very close friend, partner, and I'm a voter, and all good, Sophia Bush. Sophia is an actress, activist, director, producer, and champion of equal rights. She's a founding member of Time's Up and I Am a Voter and the host of the wildly successful podcast, Work in Progress. We're so happy that you're here. So the last I saw you, uh, you, Mon, and I were on FaceTime together weeping. Yeah. What have you been thinking about since then? What has Ruth Bader Ginsburg meant to you? How are you holding up? Where are you right now? Well, I'm at home, and I'm in a home that I own and that I pay a mortgage on because of RBG. Mm. I would not have been able to become a homeowner if it were not for the laws that she 
passed. I would not be able to have a credit card without her activism. You know, we could not participate as fully active and whole members of society as women prior to the work of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, prior to her incredible, brilliant pointing out of a double standard upon the basis of sex. Mm-hmm. And she was a wise enough woman that she pursued the frustration of sexual discrimination with the court based on the discrimination that a man was on the receiving end of. Mm-hmm. And something that I've really thought so much about in this time in particular, because we're really, as a nation, frustrated. A lot of people want exactly what they want. They want their perfect candidate. They want their perfect outcome. Perfection is not progress. Mm -hmm. Perfection is actually the enemy of progress. Perfection is the enemy of getting anything done. And RBG walked into a court making history, not by saying it's wrong that you're doing this to us as women. She simply said, okay, if men aren't ready to hear that argument, I'll show them why it would be wrong if it happened to a man. And then the simple equivalency is, if a man can't be discriminated upon on the basis of sex, neither can a woman. So I've really been sitting here ruminating on how we take the hand we're dealt at present and create progress moving forward, not how we get lost in the nonsensical and utterly ridiculous infighting about who's going to get a perfect outcome because perfect outcomes don't exist. And I really think that it's up to us in her honor, in her memory, to double down on a movement. Amen. So obviously this whole podcast is a tribute to RBG and it was named after her. And um, everyone we feature is someone who we think kind of carries the torch for her. And you are the quality warrior on this podcast. And I think I can't think of anyone that has done more than RVG for equal rights and protection. What do you think she has done for equal rights? I mean, everything. She took away the legal defense for unequal treatment. And look, throughout history, so many humans have fallen into the trappings of it's us versus them. When you go back to tribal wars and feudal society and and slavery and the indigenous genocide in America. I mean, this is the ugliest part of our human history. And yet, even when we were a society that was governed by white men who enslaved other people, the founding principles of this nation were rooted in equality. Mm -hmm. The founding principles of this nation were rooted in a separation of church and state. The founding principles of this nation were about humanity deserving a place where they could all in equal fashion, pursue success and happiness. Mm -hmm. That's where the American dream stems from. And yet, woven throughout that history and woven throughout that reality and that sort of fantastical founding of ideals is deeply rooted systemic inequity. Mm -hmm. And RBG, as a young woman, in a time when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was studying the law, She was one of nine women in her class of more than 500 men. Women made up less than 3% of anyone even being allowed to study the law. One of the first dinners that was held 
at her law school, she was asked by the head of the law school, what makes you so deserving of taking this place away from a man? Even in that kind of climate, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, what our constitution says is all men are created equal. And we're talking about the species of men. We're talking about humankind. The fact that so many people today assume, and I don't mean this to say that gender disparity and that gender oppression doesn't exist anymore. It certainly does. You can look at the explosion of the Me Too movement in 2017 for context. But so many of us take for granted that we can do things like buy a car and own a home and have a checkbook and a credit card in our name. Those things truly only exist because of her. You listen to Gloria Steinem talk about her history as an activist and talk about what it was like to move to New York City and how she couldn't rent an apartment when she first got there because every landlord thought that a single woman trying to rent an apartment had to be a prostitute. (sighs) This is what the world was in the 1970s. You know, we we have very short-term memories Mm -hmm. in terms of the battles that we've won. And it is immensely important for us to remember that so many of us can only have careers can only run businesses, can only balance work life and home life and be women with professions and also with children because of her. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the most incredible parts of her legacy to me is that she really proved that you can do it all if you work for it. Yeah. She was a mother. She was a law student. When her husband was diagnosed with testicular cancer, not only did she go and do her own work to be on the law review, but she went to his law classes and brought his notes home to him and made sure he didn't fall behind in school. And they had a three-year-old at the time. Mm -hmm. With a child. And, you know, the way that her and Marty talked about each other, talked about their relationship, the way that when women were not welcomed into the halls of the Supreme Court, he was her champion. That was a true meeting of equals. In an era in history when so many men dismissed their women essentially as unpaid employees. She was groundbreaking, not only in the courtroom, but groundbreaking from the front steps of her own home. Her legacy cannot be overstated. I am so... (laughs) And I named one of my chickens after her. (laughs) I have a Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you guys. Oh my God, I love it. She came home in June and I looked at her and she's this cute (laughs) little chicken with black feathers and these little white feathers around her neck. And I went, she's wearing an RBG color. I must name her after my icon and my queen. I literally went into the chicken coop on Saturday and picked her up and was just sobbing into her feathers. I was like, your name's sake. Yeah. I mean, I've had a really emotional weekend. It's a roller coaster every, uh, on every level from home farming to the upper echelons of the judiciary. So how do we honor her legacy best? We honor her legacy, in my estimation, by making sure, first and foremost, that we know it. We need to know what she did for us. We need to understand the wins that through the decades she gained for equality in the court. And we need understanding how precious those wins are and how deserved, by the way, we need to double down on our commitment to fighting to preserve them mm-hmm. and to fighting to continue progress. Democracy is an action verb. 
A democratic republic such as this requires constant checking, constant investigation, constant evaluation. Yeah. And we are living through a time where checks and balances in our government are being erased. We are becoming a banana republic. We are watching a, a theoretically elected, but who lost the popular vote, president install himself as a dictator, an authoritarian. These are not hyperbolic notions or threats to democracy. These are happening yeah, in real time. People around the world are warning us about what this means it's for It's an America. autocracy. I also just yes. think that people it's incredibly dangerous. don't recognize that just because you have these powers doesn't mean they can't be taken away <laughs> and challenged and chipped exactly. at. And- exactly. And we've seen it. Mm-hmm. We've seen it happen throughout the three and a half years of this presidency. It is an assault on everything that our nation is founded on. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, an assault on the libs or any of the other nonsense that the people who are quite literally voting against their own interests when they vote for this man like to say. This isn't about talking points and reality TV shows zingers. This is about policy and legislation. And we have to understand what she helped us win, not just as women, but as humans. Mm-hmm. And we have to understand how much farther we have to go, A, in holding our government accountable, and B, in demanding that the arc of progress continues. The point of human innovation, the point of technological innovation, the point of being at this stage in human invention is that we continue to get better, that we reduce death, that we reduce pestilence, that we reduce illness, that we increase the positive outcomes that every human has the potential to encounter in their life. That's literally the point. And so we've got to show up. We've got to take our tears and turn them into passion. We've got to take our rage at having all of our rights be under assault and turn them into fundraising dollars. We've got to take mourning an icon and turn that mourning into a movement, period, End of story. This means local politics. This means donating what you can if it's a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, fifty dollars, five thousand dollars to people in swing state races. Mm-hmm. This means flipping the Senate. This means bringing some decorum back to the halls of legislature. We've got to be shaken out of this nightmare where Mitch McConnell can boast that he's the grim reaper of bills when there are more than 500 bills that have been passed by Congress for the benefit of the American people, literally dying on his desk, and he doesn't care. He won't pass a coronavirus bill that was passed by Congress in May, but he wants to ram a Supreme Court nominee down the throats of Americans when eight in 10 Democrats and five in 10 Republicans all agree that a confirmation should not happen until after the presidential election, that the next president should nominate the next judge to the Supreme Court, this is not a democratic republic anymore. Mm -hmm. This is an imbalance of power and a hijacking of the will of the American people. And people like Mitch McConnell have forgotten that they work for us. RBG never forgot that. Her entire legacy was about benefiting every person in this country to the best of her ability. And it's on us to be as involved as possible and as passionate about our democracy and our participation in it in her honor, period, end of story. The way I think about her commitment to the truth, no matter how boring or basic or unattractive, I am motivated because I think her death, again, while all of us should not have had to rest on her shoulders, she shouldn't have had to feel that pressure, 
I think that her death has been a wake-up call yeah. for people yeah. who have been swayed or distracted by partisan yep. nonsense and who realize that we are at a moment, we are standing at the face of a chasm where it's either Trumpism or country. Right. That's where we are. Right. And not that I think money will save us by any means, but I do think we vote every day as consumers with our dollars. And I think that mm-hmm. the fact that $100 million in Democratic fundraising was done in the 24 hours after she died, mm-hmm. that to me signifies that money didn't just grow on a tree yeah. in an instant. Yeah. It was there. It wasn't being deployed. Right. People were still, and I think it's actually uh, crisis fatigue because Trump's twisted genius is that he creates so many crises every day that people get yeah. exhausted trying to respond to them. I think a lot of people were in crisis fatigue and when RBG passed, they realized, oh, I don't have the luxury of being fatigued. My fatigue is privilege. I have to show up. I have to put my money where my mouth is. I have to organize for the future because we could lose the country. The American experiment could be over. And while we have by no means been historically perfect, we have always fought to get closer and closer and closer to those founding ideals. We are in an era where we're discussing what it means to build bigger tables, both from the moral imperative of serving equality and also from the smart financial sense of creating a larger economy when you have more equitable participation. People seem to get it in this moment. They seem to understand how serious this really is. And that, that is my hope. My hope is that Everyone who who might have said, this is just not for me, this race is not for me, I can't get involved, understands that that is not an option and we need to carry Ruth into the voting booths with us. I've never spoken to you without getting chills and learning 20 new things. <laughs> Love you so much. So. You've also never spoken to me in which I have not been your most long-winded no. friend. And I'm sorry, but I'm very no, fired up. I just want, I, I could listen to you me for three too. hours. You're just. I know. I, there's no word I know, for you. Trust me. I try it all the time. I just think, I think we can be better and I think we can do better. And I think those are the things we can do to honor her. And we will. I believe we're going to see turnout numbers that nobody in their wildest dreams thought we would see. Why do you think that the passing of Ginsburg makes voting in this election even more important than when we woke up a few days ago? I think we took for granted how much our rights were going to be protected regardless of this administration until these things were settled. And that the election, which we already know is going to be contested and we know is going to be very difficult, that somehow the Supreme Court would be able to rule favorably in in protecting the the votes of of everybody. I mean, when Donald Trump says over the weekend that we should stop counting votes on November 3rd because he wants a clear winner, it's not, this isn't like the Hunger Games. This isn't a, a TV show. I don't know what he's talking about. Every vote is going to be counted. That is the American way. Everyone deserves a voice. And that is something that would ultimately go to the Supreme Court, right? And to think that mm-hmm. Ruth Bader Ginsburg isn't going to be there Um, And that the conservative majority could possibly rule in favor of something so insane. I don't I don't think that anyone really had an awareness how close 
Roe v. Wade is to being overturned. I don't think everybody understood how important it is to protect our dreamers and the rights of our immigrants, that a lot of what is happening today around the pandemic and the response to the coronavirus violates a lot of our constitutional rights, that there are so many things that the conservative minority, by the way, in America is trying to jam through our legal system and that the Supreme Court was going to be there somehow to keep us on track to some extent. And now that's all up, right? We are now not just voting about saving the soul of this country and this administration and the president and all of those other things. We're also voting for the Supreme Court. And I really just, I think it made this election so much more heightened, so much more important. I mean, I've never seen, you know, the Democrats and come together the way that they have over the weekend. The, the money that yeah, was raised yeah. was just mind-blowing and, and I think inspiring to see people really show up and come together. Yeah. Um, but I think this idea that if anyone was on the fence about whether they were going to vote on this election, it's just not an option. It's not something that I think anyone can think twice about anymore. There is so much at stake for yourself, for your friends, for the people that you love, for your community. It's not about you. And I, I mean, people have their own opinions and like, oh, what's the point? My voice doesn't count. Well, then your neighbor's voice counts. Your mother's voice counts. I mean, they are, you know, they're trying to get rid of Obamacare. I mean, there are so many people in your family. Well, that's what I was just, that, have that was, I, I was just going to say. conditions, that, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, a week after the election, they're going to the Supreme Court. And I mean, right now, Donald Trump is trying, is at the Supreme Court trying to take away all pre-existing condition protections in, in health. For anyone listening to that and saying, oh, well, Obamacare wasn't helpful. Obamacare was more expensive. Just to be clear, they have zero plan that they have presented for what they're going to replace Obamacare with. They're just trying to That's get rid of it thing. because Donald Trump doesn't like President Obama. This is entirely personal. Yes. This has nothing to do with anything else other than a vendetta that he has been carrying for a very long time. I mean, they are trying so hard to strip LGBTQ rights and all of these things that we've spent this whole podcast talking about, you know, this idea of, of us showing up for each other. And again, we're going to just one more time take one quick step. If you have not registered, take one second right now, text the word voter to 26797. It will take you two minutes to confirm your registration. If you can vote in person and early in your state, early, please do that. You may wait in line for a few hours. You may wait in line the whole day. It will be the most patriotic duty you have ever done. Stand in line and vote that day. Vote as early as you can. And if you can vote by mail, request your mail-in ballot, and vote by mail, send in your ballot the first day that you can send it, no matter what, send it in prior to October 20th. When you text voter to 26797, you will find out if you can vote early. You will find out if you can vote by mail. You can request your mail-in ballot. All of those resources will be provided to you when you text the platform. If you want to drop it off in a secure Dropbox, you can also find out that information. Those Dropboxes are available. You can drop them off. They are safe and they will be counted. We will continue to share information with you up until Election Day and throughout Election Day. But 
we will do everything in our powers to ensure that every single vote in America is counted. If that fight ever comes to fruition, we we need every single person listening to show up for that fight because voting is the foundation of democracy. And when we lose this, when we lose the protection for, for the votes of, of American citizens, we lose our democracy. And I don't know how else to explain this to you. Take it from me, who left a dictatorship to come to America to save my life. We came here because it was a democracy. And our vote and the ability to elect our president is absolute most critical foundation in this democracy. So please think about your vote, think about the votes of others, and make sure that you participate and show up in this election. Amen. Thank you for being a part of this community, for showing up here week after week with an open heart to learn with us and to honor the work of these incredible heroes. Launching this podcast, inspired by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, has been one of our most proud accomplishments. And there's not a single day that we take any of this for granted. We're gutted by this loss. And yet we're also more committed to this work than ever before. Her shoes are some very big ones to fill, but maybe by showing up and uniting, we can fill them together. Because the only way to honor her memory and her legacy is to continue her fight, to dissent, and to get to work. She has passed the baton. We take it. We fight. We win. May her memory be a revolution. We will return to our regular programming next week with Carol Codwalder. The source for the biographical portion in this episode is NPR. We are Deborah Messing and Mandana Dayani, and you have been listening to the dissenters. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. You can go to thedissenters.com to see the full list of our 20 dissenters. We love seeing the support on social, so please tag us at the dissenters, at the real Deborah Messing, at Mandana Dayani. And please continue sending us suggestions for badass dissenters we should feature. Please tune in next Thursday to meet our next brilliant dissenter. This show is produced by me, Deborah Messing, Mandana Dayani, Erica First, and Dear Media. Our music was written by Brady Cohen, and images were shot by Justin Campbell. 